Hello, welcome back to the National Podcast. I am National Ave writer John Schneidman. My guest this week is Professor Sabrina Corlett. Sabrina is a senior research fellow at Georgetown University's Center on Health Insurance Reforms. She is a health care policy expert. I had her on to discuss the American Health Care Act, Donald Trump and Paul Ryan's proposed Obamacare replacement, which they rolled out this week. Uh, we really dug into this law's provisions and the myriad of ways it'll affect the average consumer. Uh, spoiler alert, it ain't good. <laughs> anyway, here's my conversation with Professor Corlett. All right, Sabrina, so uh, healthcare policy is very complicated. And no, also, you're kidding. It is? I know, right? Um, Who knew? And also super important. I was wondering, so this week, the House Republicans introduced the American Health Care Act. I was wondering if you could explain what it does. <laughs> like, like just, on a, just on a basic level, what is it set out to do? What does it achieve? Well, so it's complicated. Um <laughs> And um, one of the reasons it's really complicated is, of course, the the Republican leaders campaign on a promise to just repeal Obamacare or repeal right. the Affordable Care Act. Right. right. This bill doesn't do that. Um, and many people might say, well, well, then what's what's all the fuss about? Um, and, and one of the reasons they can't outright repeal the Affordable Care Act is because to do that, they would need 60 votes in the Senate, right? Everybody remembers Mr. Smith goes to Washington and you need 60 votes um, because of the Senate filibuster. So what they're doing is sort of a budgetary maneuver. It's called reconciliation. Right. Uh, but it, and, and it's fairly narrow. There's sort of a narrow path to um, doing it. But if you can do it, you then you only have to get 50 votes in the Senate. Um, and of course, they have a majority of 52 uh, Republican senators. Um, and uh, so um, they are essentially they are repealing pieces of Obamacare that um, will, will help them get through this reconciliation pathway, but not all of it. Um, so the, the key things um, that are uh, that are being repealed or changed in the law. Number one is the the hated individual mandate, right? Right. This is the requirement or the expectation that everybody have insurance, and if you don't, you have to pay a penalty. They are getting rid of that, and actually, they're getting rid of it as of 2016. So, if it's you know passes tomorrow, you wouldn't have to pay your penalty on your tax return for when it's due in April. Right. Um, that's a, that's a big thing and it's a big deal for those guys. Uh, another key thing that it does is it, um, changes pretty dramatically the subsidies that help lower income people buy this insurance. Right. Um, so the bottom, I mean, they change the subsidy structure. It's a different kind of, um, range of subsidies, but the bottom line is that there's, there's less money available. But if you're a young person, such as a millennial, you might get more under this bill. Um, but if you're an older person, you get less. Uh, less in relationship to what you used to get or as a relationship correct. to your income, correct? 
um, less in relationship to what you would get under the Affordable Care Act or Got Obamacare. It. Got it. Mm -hmm. And these and their version of the tax credits are not income adjusted. So under the ACA or under Obamacare, you would get more generous subsidies the lower income you were. So it's sort of this progressive tax subsidy um, approach. Under the Republican approach, the subsidies are not income adjusted. So whether you make $20,000 a year or $70,000 a year, you get the same flat amount. Got it. Okay. Um, but it does change by age. So um, a young person gets $2,000 and an, a 60-year-old would get $4,000. Which is le But that $4,000 is less than what they were getting. What they're currently right, getting. because the other thing this bill does is it allows, it, it allows yeah. insurance companies to charge an older person as much as five times the premium of a young person. So you're essentially, you're, you're being charged up to five times more, but you're only getting twice the, the subsidy that a young person would have. How is that a change from the current system? Well, under the current system, older people can be charged more, but only up to three times more. Okay. And they get a tax credit that grows as their premium grows. So, um, the, the the essentially what the ACA said was um, there's a cap on the amount of income that anyone should have to spend towards a premium. So as the premium goes up, and that could be based on your age, but it also could be where you live, right? right. So Alaska and Arizona are very high cost states. Um, Massachusetts is a fairly low cost state, but it, under the ACA, it doesn't really matter because whether you live in Alaska or Massachusetts, you pay the same. Um, right. Under this approach, it's just a flat dollar amount. It's $2,000 for a young person, $4,000 for an old person, no matter what your premium is. Right. So we keep hearing about the very real problems with Obamacare. You know, premiums are still going up, high deductibles, high copays. I'm wondering what this, what this new law, Ryan Care, Trump Care, whatever shorthand you want to use, what it does to, if anything, what it does to solve these problems. Nothing. <laughs> no, no, Nothing. I, and I'm not. I'm not trying to be coy. Um, so there are there are absolutely flaws um, in the in the Affordable Care Act, and um, there are challenges with um, how the individual market is working for people right now. Um, but this bill really doesn't address those problems um, in any in, in, and may make them worse. Um, and and I'll explain why. So yeah. the the way the the ACA is structured is it's often you hear about it as a three legged stool. Yeah. Right. So the idea is one leg of the stool is that we're going to have protections for people with pre-existing conditions. If you're sick, you should still be able to get coverage. Um, but if we're going to do that, we have to offer insurance companies this mandate to buy coverage. That's the second leg of the stool. And it's as hated as it is, it's needed because you can't let people wait until they get sick to buy coverage because the prices will go through the roof. Right. The third leg is if you are going to require people to buy coverage, well, then you gosh darn well better make it affordable for them. Yeah. So the third leg is the subsidy. Okay. What this bill does is it knocks out the subsidy or at least makes that leg of the stool shorter, 
right? Right. And it knocks out the mandate. Yeah. But it maintains the first leg of the stool, which is the protections, the, the guaranteed issue protections for people who have pre-existing conditions. So what happens when you have a stool that has one leg knocked out and one leg that's been made short and one leg still standing? The yeah. stool is pretty wobbly, right? Right. So that, that's, um, that's why you, you've seen a lot of health policy experts on both the right and the left say that, that this bill has got serious flaws. Just as a quick side note, would so so the guarantees the pre-existing conditions staying on pe- people being able to stay on their parents' health care until they're twenty six? Would would anything in this current bill change those promises, or would it would the problems in the healthcare system be so colossal that at a certain point it wouldn't matter? Well, so w- this bill does not repeal the ACA's protections. Well, most does not repeal most of the ACA's protections for people with pre-existing conditions. Right. It does not repeal the provision allowing people under age 26 to stay on their parents' plan. Yeah. Um, and that's partly because of this weird budget reconciliation pathway that they're per- trying to pursue. Um, they're actually not allowed to repeal it if they want to move it through the Senate with, with 51 votes. Um, so, so those protections still stand. So anybody... Can, who's sick can go out and buy a policy, and and the insurance company will have to have to give it to them. Right. I, so I guess like, and, and you've seen it in the coverage over the past few days. In the interest of being fair-minded, I'm trying to try to get some idea of what the argument for this bill is. You know what it does that improves lives from the perspective of a consumer. Uh, um, well, I, yeah, um, I mean, I, um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'll try to channel Paul Ryan a little bit, um, although um, I, I'm probably about the last person to do that. You may want to get somebody who's, um, <laughs> you know, more on the of the conservative bent. But um, I do think that they um, strongly believe that the individual mandate is um, un-American. Right. Um, and that the government should not be in the business of penalizing people for not purchasing a, a product. Right. Um, and I, you know, I think that um, while the individual mandate is is needed from a like just insurance uh, economics perspective, I get that argument, right? Right. Uh, um, the I think the other thing they would like to do but can't do because they've chosen this reconciliation path um, is they would like to to deregulate insurance, right? right? So the ACA put in all these standards for insurance companies. Um, you got to offer coverage to sick people. You right. got to cover a certain minimum set of benefits. Um, you got to offer a minimum amount of financial protection. They would like to get rid of all those things. Um, this bill does that a little bit. Um, but again, because they're trying to thread the needle on this budget reconciliation process and get away with um, with a 51 Senate vote, um, th- th- they are not able to do as much of that as they would like. Right. <laughs> so the answer to my question in the end seems to be not much. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> it seems uh, like it doesn't yeah, do much. No, for... is, yeah, and this is why you see like senators like Rand Paul from Kentucky, who's a big libertarian, and a number of folks um, with the more, um, I guess, sort of Tea Party wing of the Republicans really complaining about this bill, 
because it doesn't go far enough. And they also, frankly, don't like that it maintains any tax credits or subsidies at all um, for people to buy coverage because they just think the government should get out of health care entirely. Right. So it, it, it seems like on one side, and, and tell me if I'm kind of mischaracterizing it, that like on one side there's an economic argument, but on the other side it's more philosophical <laughs> than anything else. Like it, it seems like on it seems like this healthcare debate is a debate between an economics argument and a lifestyle brand. <laughs> you know that like it's better for morale if pe- if people have more freedom to do what they want. Like I don't see much of a and tell me if I'm wrong. I, I I'd like to be told I'm wrong if I'm wrong here that there's a difference that on the, like the Rand Paul wing is saying it's actually just better for freedom if we do this regardless of how it affects coverage or the economy or things like that. Am I wrong on that? Is that is that an unfair Right. Assessment? No, I think you're getting at the heart. Yeah. I think you're really getting at the heart. I mean, as crazy as some of the debate is, I think underlying it are absolutely strong philosophical differences about um, whether health care is a right or a privilege. Right. And then also what the government's role should be. So if you are on the more liberal or progressive end, you might say, you know, health care is a human right. Like people should have access to health care. And if you think that, then it's a logical extension to say, well, then the government has a role in guaranteeing that right. Right. Um, if you think health care or access to health care is a privilege um, and that government, you know, it's not government's job to make sure people have that, then you're, you're just coming at it from a completely different perspective. And it helps explain why folks like Rand Paul and these other um, very conservative um, members of Congress are saying, why we don't, we don't want any subsidies at all for this stuff. We don't right. want a mandate. We don't want subsidies. We don't want the government saying every health plan has to cover maternity care and prescription drugs and physical therapy. Like, that's not the government's job. Right. Um, let's just let the free market reign. And if you can afford health care, good for you. Uh, if you can't afford it, well, that's probably your own darn fault. Um, right. I, I mean, again, you know, I, I think that's partially where they're coming from. But um, <laughs> your next your next health care chat, you can talk to to uh, somebody from the more libertarian side <laughs> of the party. <laughs> right. See what to say. Right. So uh, on the mandate, I keep hearing that the mandate is gone, but now there's a provision where health insurance companies can charge people a 30% premium if they haven't had coverage for more than two months in a row. And I'm wondering, to a consumer, it seems to me like the only difference is that now my money is going to the insurance provider as opposed to the government. Yeah, I've actually been asking um, health actuaries, who are the people who sit inside insurance companies and figure out how to, like, set prices and what, you know, sort of look at both the the risk as well as sort of behavioral economics issues. Um, And, yes, so if you have have a lapse in coverage of more than 63 days under this bill, um, an insurance company could charge you 30% more, but it's just for a year. Okay. the the concern is from the health insurance industry is that for somebody who's healthy 
um, and they're trying to decide whether to buy coverage, um, they're going to look at that 30% surcharge and say, why should I pay that? I'll put that off for next year, and then I'll put that off for another year, and right. another year, and another year, until right. they get really sick, and then it's like, okay, I'll pay that 30% surcharge. Um, and so they can actually not get insurance for three, four, five, six, seven years, and you can just do the math, right? Um, you can say, I'll save money on premiums by staying uninsured, and then if I get sick, I'll just pay this 30% surcharge for 12 months. Right. Um, and 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 so it's not a great incentive for for people to sign up. Now, a lot of insurance companies will say that the individual mandate wasn't that great either, but it was at least a yearly reminder: you're not covered. You should do something about it. Right. Uh, so you know, it's it's hard to know. There, like I I I was joking yesterday with one of these actuaries, like the individual mandate is kind of like what Winston Churchill said about democracy, right? It's an absolutely terrible, horrible system, except for all of the alternatives. Right. So, but it, it seems to me, and they're playing a little bit with fire here in terms of disincentivizing young people from getting health insurance, right? Like, it, this seems kind of risky to me. Yeah, yeah, no, and I it's, think there's a real risk that for insurance companies who are looking at the individual mandate going away, the subsidies um, going down, and um, still having to provide policies to people who have pre-existing conditions or who are, who are high risk, you know, insurance companies, some of them, I mean, shoot, you know, their board of directors are going to say to them, why, you know, you should get out of this market. It's too risky. Um, and there's, you know, there's no mandate that the insurance companies have to participate. Right. Um, they're going to go look for, for more profitable pastures. Um, so the real risk here, I think, is that um, while, while under the ACA, it's certainly been a bumpy road um, and nobody would say that the, the market is um, perfect, this could actually accelerate um, the the destabilization, and and by that I just mean you could have at a minimum big price premium hikes going right. into 2018, um, but also some carriers just leaving the market and saying this is too risky for me. Okay, so moving on a little bit, there's been a lot of talk about what the AHCA or ACA. I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to call it here. Um, <laughs> What it does to Medicare. Could you give us a rundown of the effects this bill has on Medicare? You know, it doesn't do very much to Medicare at all. Um, it, it doesn't repeal 99.9% um, .9 of the ACA's provisions on Medicare, um, but it does repeal um, a, a tax hike on high income earners um, that um, was actually in the ACA to help shore up the Medicare trust fund. Right. Um, and so I'm trying to remember, um, I can't remember the exact amount of time, but somebody's estimated that it's essentially shortening the life of the Medicare trust fund by a certain number of years because they repeal this tax hike. But, it, it, but it's not very high income earner, like 200,000 or more. Right. Those folks paying this tax. Right. But it freezes enrollment in Medicare? In oh, you're thinking Medicaid. Medicaid. Oh, oops. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Thank you for clearing that up. See? Yes. <laughs> this is why I'm talking to an expert. <laughs> so it, it yes. changes Medicaid. It makes dramatic changes to Medicaid. 
Yes, yes. And, okay. and I think, yeah, and this is really important, I think, for folks to understand is this bill goes far beyond just repealing the ACA's Medicaid expansion. Right. Um, it actually fundamentally restructures the Medicaid program, which has been around for 50 years, uh, more than 50 years. Um, and essentially, the bottom line is that it, it um, caps the federal financial commitment to the Medicaid program, okay. but shifts the cost obligation to states. So um, the concern is that as states have to deal with budgetary pressures um, and they know they're not going to be able to get any more money from the feds, that they're going to start to cut the Medicaid program. Um, and it may not happen today or tomorrow, but it'll happen over time. And, right. you know, we have about 50% of all births in this country are paid for by the Medicaid program. Um, families with kids with disabilities uh, rely on the Medicaid program. Right. If you've got a grandmother in a long-term care um, situation, nursing home or otherwise, that's probably, um, and for many people, financed by Medicaid. So um, it's a financial lifeline for a lot of folks, and this is for the first time the federal government kind of walking away from its um, obligation to this program. So uh, we keep coming back to this concept. Is there any reason to do that that benefits your average person beyond philosophical notions? Um, well, they need to do it in order to finance the tax cuts. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> So, so there's no, so that's how they're paying for the tax cut. The, they're they're yes. giving people a tax cut, and that money, the money is no longer flowing into Medicaid. Right, right. I mean, it's it's um it's essentially just capping the gover- the federal government's liability. So it's it's um yes, and they're and they're sort of taking that difference and and putting it into t- the tax cuts. Right. You would, ima- you would imagine, and maybe uh, this is all a, a little bit too much conjecture on my part, but you would imagine that s- some of the more liberal states would step in in that. Is there anything that would prevent certain states from stepping up their own obligation to cover the gap? Right, yeah, covered? yes, exactly, yes. You could see a state um, enacting a tax increase to right. you know, make sure they can maintain the coverage levels under Medicaid that they've had before. Right. Um, but not all states are going to be able to do that. Right. Uh, or are going to be interested in doing that. Exactly. Um, and um, Or they could cut other parts of the state budget. I mean, you look at, you know, states are responsible for funding education. Um, they, you know, have to maintain a, a, um, a, a jails, etc. So, you know, you might look at... Um, other parts of the state budget to cut and right. fund Medicaid. But um, over time, uh, I think it's probably inevitable that at most states, in most states you'll e- either see um, tightening of eligibility rules so that fewer people can get in right. or see um, ben- you know, shrinking of the benefits. Got it. So uh, pre- the president has made a number of promises to protect Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security. He has also spoken out pretty strongly in support of this bill. This bill does not keep those promises. Um, in my understanding, am I wrong? Um, certainly on the Medicaid front, okay. you're, 
you are you are not wrong. Um, and some might argue that um, you know by by repealing the 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 provision on the Medicare that would shore up the trust fund, he's accelerating um, you know Medicare's potential to go into bankruptcy. Okay. Uh, I, I wanted to spitball a, a few more questions that you've been very generous with your time. Um, what would this do? We've, I've heard a lot of talk about how this would kind of do a lot of damage to addiction treatment coverage. We're in the middle of an o opioid crisis in this country. Yeah. All I've heard is that it would do that. I have not heard how. Right. <laughs> so how would it do that? Um, and, and let me toss in mental health coverage there, too. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things that the Affordable Care Act did was um, it, well, two things. One is that it required plans, particularly in the individual market, um, but also for people who are um, getting Medicaid under the Medicaid expansion, required coverage of mental health services right. and substance use treatment services. Right. Um, and in addition to that, so not only do the health plans have to cover these things, but they have to do it at parity with the coverage of, of medical services. So, for example, if you say, you know, we'll cover up to um, 10 physical therapy visits a year under this plan, you, you have to also cover, you know, 10 visits with a mental health therapist. You can't, you have to get parity. You can't shortchange mental health and substance use services. Got it. Uh, so, yeah, so if um, those protections are repealed, um, then, you know, I, I, mental health and substance use services are fairly expensive benefits for health plans. I, you know, I would guess that many of them will n no longer offer them. Okay. Um, and uh, so you could see people losing those, those benefits. Okay. I, I guess... You know, it, it's just, it's very strange to me because it's, it's still, you know, we've been talking for a, a, a long, you know, talking for a half hour, and I still am struggling to grasp from, from any perspective what the purpose of this bill is besides kicking people, besides providing worse care to people and repealing the individual <laughs> mandate. You know, it, it's, it seems to just, and to cut kind of the services to Obamacare. It seems like, is it a fair interpretation to say that this is kind of like, it's kind of, it feels like a death to Obamacare by strangulation, <laughs> like to, <laughs> to kind of like slowly cut off the oxygen to it, which, which are the subsidies and the tax credits and stuff like that. Is that a fair kind of read on the situation? Um, yeah, I, I, I certainly think that if this bill passes, um, you're going to see, well, you know, we're not starting to see estimates now. We don't have official Congressional Budget Office estimates, but a number of um, economist types have now come out saying it's going to cost, you know, between 15 and 20 million people to lose coverage. Oh, my God. Um, you could see, oh um, you know, you could also see, I think what's a little worrying is that, you know, even for people who... Are, you know, for people who are buying coverage on their own, even higher income people um, who you would think the Republicans would care something about, they could lose coverage options as well in the individual market because, again, if insurers are still required to cover sick people, but there's no 
um, kind of counterbalancing mandate or you know incentive for healthy people to come in, I'm, I'm worried that many of them will just exit the market entirely. And so that takes away options, not just from you know the, the low income people that Obamacare was covering, but also from higher income people. Right. This it, it doesn't seem, and, and there's you know I've heard some analysis that kind of suggests that this bill doesn't feel very well thought out. <laughs> in terms of cons- like market consequences? I think that's fair. Is, is that, that's fair, because it, it feels like this is... If your only goal... And I'm going to try to phrase this in the form of a question. Is there any way this improves the healthcare market? Like, is there any way that, that this... If you're anybody... If you are purely... Okay. If you are purely a consumer of healthcare, so let's take away the idea of the tax cut for a second, because people getting tax cuts will be happy about it. But if you're not one of those people, or you view you're viewing this purely through the lens of somebody who needs slash wants to buy health insurance, does this help you at all? Um. So for young people. Some young people may be getting a higher subsidy under their subsidy structure than they are today. Um, And certainly if you're a higher income young person, you're getting more. Right. Um, The other thing that they do, um, again, you know, we mentioned they they change what's called age rating. Right. So under the ACA, um, because insurance companies were only allowed to charge older people three times, a young right. person, yeah, and now it's up to five times. Um, some young people will see their premiums go down, right? Um, as a result of that, of course, it's just a cost shift, right? It just means that as you get older, right. you pay. Um, the other thing I'm trying to think of, you know, particularly for your audience, um, they do um, take, you know, one thing we didn't talk about is the ACA has this requirement that. Um, you know, plans have um, what we call the precious metal level. So you have a minimum level bronze plan that's pretty bare bones, and then you can buy silver, gold, platinum. Those right. are the four metal levels. Um, this bill would repeal that. So um, plans could offer, uh, I'm sorry, com- insurance companies could offer plans with higher deductibles than they do today. And that could come with a cheaper premium. So if you're like a young millennial, fairly high income, you're buying on your own, and um, you could get a pretty catastrophic plan with, you know, pretty high deductible, but your premiums would be pretty low. So, you know, if you're just worried about having that catastrophic coverage, if you get hit by a bus or something, right? Um, this this could be helpful to you. Right. I. Okay. That makes that makes sense to me. It, so, so like that the headline here, it, it it is kind of taking away a lot of the protections, a lot of the consumer low income older protections. Yes. It, yes. It, it, that seems to be the like number one thing this bill does. Yeah, no, is that I mean, fair? If you look at, exactly. If you look at it really broadly, yeah. Well, the ACA. You know, everything is winners and losers, right? I mean, yes. the ACA was a cost shift from the young and healthy to the older and sicker. Right. No question about it. This just reverses course, right? This is now a cost shift from the older and sicker to 
the young and healthier and also a frankly higher income. So, you know, it's Meaning tricky. Mo- who, who are your winners and losers? And, and in this case, the winners are young, healthy, high income. You're right. in great shape if, if the, you, you fit all those three buckets. If you're not one, so you're, you're going to be paying less if you're in that bucket. If you're not in that bucket, if this bill passes, you're going to be paying more. Potentially, yes. Potentially. Uh, if you're getting insurance at all. <laughs> <laughs> a big if. It's, it's starting to sound like a big if. Alrighty, Sabrina, thank you so much for your time. Uh, My I really, pleasure. I Thanks really appreciate that. And uh, thank you for kind of walking us all through this. I really appreciate it. Anytime. Anytime. Uh, thank you. Have a, good, have a good one. Have a great weekend. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Happy, happy doctor. The doctor won't do me. A needle, a painkiller, the shot inside of me. Don't you throw me out the door when I help me?